Here's the song that we'd like to do for all the younger set of people, the teenagers and what have you. This one's called Vacation Zone. From Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you sitting on a retirement time bomb? On today's show, we welcome America's tax and IRA expert, Ed Slot to defuse your ticking time bomb. Wait, are we serious? All right, people, this is not a drill. Let's get through this so I can defuse this thing. I've watched Mission Impossible. Not sure why we're going to go do headlines, but the show must go on. So, believe it or not, a struggling video game retailer called GameStop is back in the news. Spencer Israel from Bazinga will join us to share what the heck's going on this time. Later... If there is a later, we'll toss out the Haven Lifeline to Evan, who wants some advice on what he should consider before quitting his job. And I'll help you brush up on your accounting terms with my terrific trivia. And now, two guys who totally would let a time bomb in under their watch, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. And again, Nicole Princess Bride, I don't think that means what he thinks that means. Hey, everybody, welcome back. We are back. Eight more weeks of fun starting right now. I'm Joe Salcija. I average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table, rested and ready to help kick off another eight weeks of podcasting. It's Mr. OG. Ready to rock and roll. I am so excited. we got Ed Slot to kick off. We're just out of the gate, baby. Fast horse out of the gate. What does that mean, though, generally? It generally means we're like fourth across the finish line. Okay. All right. Good. Yes. However, it's going to be great today. Time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we'll go down in flames later, but not today. Today's going to be glorious, fantastic. There are very few people, as you know, OG, who can talk with authority and entertainment value like Mr. Ed Slot can when it comes to taxes. Nobody talks like he does. He's the guy that when he's on the PBS channels and you're flipping through and you go, oh, I should listen to this. And then about an hour and a half later, you're, 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 you're subscribed to PBS, you're, you're a mega donor, and you've got all the packages. Because you're going to save that money and more in taxes. Exactly. You can donate it all to your favorite PBS station. We got a great show. We also got Spencer Israel from Benzinga, this little company called uh, GameStop back in the news. But first, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Talk to your local agent today. Spencer Israel from Benzinga coming up. Ed Slot coming up. Let's get our headlines going. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline here, OG, comes from uh, Yahoo News, and it is written by Dylan Thompson. Uber Eats driver issues heartbreaking message after delivery order gone wrong. He writes, uh, the driver says, totally unacceptable. Dylan asks, should you tip your Uber Eats driver? That question's at the dead center of a new heartbreaking viral video. Delivery worker Riley Elliott posted this clip on February 17th following an alleged 45-minute order. Let's, uh, let's actually just listen to the video. This is uh, Riley posting to TikTok. Y'all, I wish that people who order Uber Eats or DoorDash understood what it's like to be a driver. I just spent 45 minutes on a delivery and had to pay $3 to bring this person their food because there was no parking, no free parking anywhere near their building and they refused to come out and meet me. They tipped me a dollar fifty and Uber paid me two fifty. Like I got approved three times the rent for income in two weeks and I can't and it doesn't matter that I'm working multiple jobs. It doesn't matter that I barely sleep and can barely afford to feed myself. I'm about to be homeless for the third time since May. <laughs> And it's all because people don't trip, tip their delivery drivers. Like, how hard is it to throw us five bucks? It's a heart-wrenching audio right there. Watching the video, I mean, it's clear that he's crying as he's talking. OG, oh, uh, homeless for the third time. You can feel in his voice the desperation and how difficult it is. And man, I remember, I remember being there. But I think, and the reason I bring this up is I think there's actually two messages here. I think the first message is to be kind to your fellow man. This person not tipping their Uber driver or giving them a buck, not meeting them partway. I mean, these are human beings. But I think there's a second message, which is that Uber, DoorDash, and these other delivery services are proving time and again, they're not your buddy. And this is probably not the side hustle that you really want. I think the thing that's lost in that video, we're so upset with the person who is accepting the delivery and not tipping that we're forgetting that Uber Eats is paying them $2.50 OG. Yeah, I I unfortunately don't know anything about the pay structure of how that works. If you can pick what you want to do or not, or if it just gets assigned or you know, if it's paid per delivery and sometimes you get the two minute one and sometimes you get the 30 minute one and you know, you get hosed on the 30 minute ones or something. I'm not I just remember when sure. Juliet Shore was on the show a couple months ago, a few months ago now, probably. And, and she was talking about how this sharing economy where we were all going to do better and we were going to help each other has really gone awry because of course there is, and rightfully so there's a profit motive behind Uber OG mm-hmm. and their goal is to bring in as much money for shareholders as possible And if enough people will drive for them at a lower and lower and lower rate, Uber can continually take more and more and more of the money. I mean, Uber's going to continue to squeeze that margin until nobody will drive for them. Well, sure. I mean, if you think about it from the business perspective, that's their job. Their their duty is to shareholders. (laughs) 
you know, it's not to employees, sadly, or they're not even employees, contractors, right? Well, yeah, and I and I do think, and and I personally agree with. Uh, a mentor of mine when I was younger who said there's the short-term and obvious solution, which is exactly what you're saying, the long-term and not-so-obvious solution, which is having drivers that are going to drive for you for a long time, maybe make a few bucks less today, but Uber's already proven they're not going to do that. They're going to do the short-term and obvious solution here. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of standard for any any sort of service that goes on in or around your home or any sort of service where somebody is helping you any service type related job. If you're out there and you're taking advantage of that service, whether it's a Uber eats like this example, if you're going to a nice hotel, if you're going to a restaurant, you have to separate the outcome of the event that you're having with the people that are helping it. You know, the Uber delivery driver can't help that Chipotle took 45 minutes to make your burrito bowl. You know what I mean? Like that's not on them. If there was an accident on the highway and it took them an extra few minutes, it's not on them. If your food came out cold at your nice steakhouse, that's probably not on the server. And remember that while they're all interrelated, they all get paid differently, right? You know, I worked in the restaurant business. I think you did too, Joe. And when you, uh, you kind of pool all your stuff. So just because you have a nice table doesn't mean that somebody else didn't. And, you know, you kind of share the wealth a little bit uh, at the end of the day. And if you can go have a $200 steak meal, but you can't tip the server 40 bucks, you need to not go to that dinner. It's, it's really quite that simple. I mean, if you're going to, you know, a really nice hotel that has a bellman and you don't have $2 to give them for your two bags, you shouldn't go to the hotel. You should not. And don't be the person that's like, I could carry my own bags. Like that's their, that's what they do, you know? Yeah. I mean, I get that some places it gets a little obscene where there's like, you go to a restaurant and there's somebody in the in the bathroom like helping you wash your hands and, you know, okay, so there's a point of silliness and I understand that. But in today's day and age, especially if you're, you know, if you're, if you're ordering DoorDash, your freaking Chipotle bowl is $28 anyway. If you get your fat ass in the car and go yourself, it's like 11 So you're already double paying it to have it be delivered to you. So throw another five bucks on there. It's not the end of the world. And if you're the person that does the whole, like, I'm going to put the tip on and then take it off on the back end, you have a special place in hell. I wasn't going to get excited about this. And then you, uh, <laughs> and then you did fire me up. No, I totally agree. And I think your message is the obvious message. And the one that Riley is uh, seeing, I'd still think that Uber eats also has a problem here. I also think Riley has a problem here. I think Riley needs to start digging into other side hustles, as they call them, right? He needs to start looking at other ways to make money because clearly this way of making money is not working for him. At the very least, not working for him. I think personally, and Juliet Shore would agree with me, it's not working for a lot of people, but not working for Riley right now. A great resource that we really like, our friend Nick Loper has a great show called Side Hustle Nation. And uh, talks about, you know, create your own business, carve out your own future. And in our second headline, you know, all this GameStop stuff happened a few weeks ago, OG. And I thought, wow, that was wild. Thank goodness that's over. But then again, here comes GameStop again back in the news. And to talk about this crazy market, GameStop and more, our friend Spencer Israel from Benzinga joins us. How are you, man? Hey, how we doing? Well, I'm great now that I'm talking to Detroit again. Tell me downtown uh-huh. continues to be as cool as it was when I left six months ago. 
Uh, it was trending upward, but then we had this little thing called a pandemic. Really? And uh, it is – I'm downtown. I'm in the office right now. we got about 10 people here out of what would normally be 60. It's kind of quiet downtown. That is that is sad because I love the vibe now downtown yeah. Detroit. But let's not yep. talk about that, man. I was so surprised to see GameStop back in the news again early last week. Uh, were you surprised at all? Yeah, it happened sort of out of nowhere. You know, everybody was wondering, oh, is GameStop going to go back to to 400? Because it had that huge rally and then it it came back to earth and then it did nothing for like three weeks. And then out of the blue on the 24th, it just started going. It just started going, and it it, it happened at like at like three o'clock, three thirty, which is like uh, right before the close. It closes at four, and it started going, and it, this weird thing happened where, oftentimes, if stocks are are moving crazy during the session, they will be halted. The exchanges will halt them on a volatility circuit breaker. Um, uh, not Nasdaq. Uh, GameStop was actually halted on the exchange, near stock exchange into the close. They halted it for the last, like, I think five or 10 minutes. These halts are very typically five minutes long. And this halt was not, it was like eight minutes long and they halted it into the close. So which means you basically couldn't trade a GameStop from like three fifty, I think three fifty three, I think until four o'clock when the stock was going bananas or at four o'clock, you know, after the market's closed, there's still more trading. There's the after hour session. And so the close happens, and then they they bring it out of the halt, and then it kept on going to the moon. So fast forward a couple hours, and it was still going up. We we spent the entire night basically watching GameStop. Let me see how how high it got. It what got. Do you, what do you think this was, by the way? While you're looking at that up, no uh, idea. Was it FOMO? I mean, was it people? Hey, this was in the news. I got a either a I got a chance to get my money back, or I missed the first one, and now I I want to get in on the second one. Look, I, I honestly wish I, I wish that I knew. I real, I really do. We we know why, generally speaking, what causes these moves in GameStop, but nobody really knows why that day. What happened on the twenty fourth of February at three o'clock, three thirty? No one's going to know that. Maybe the SEC can can help us figure it out, but nobody knows what happened at that point to trigger this rally. So, so just to give you some numbers here at three o'clock on the 24th, GameStop was at $52, which is where it had been more or less for the past few days. Okay. $52 at three o'clock by four thirty, an hour and a half later, it was at $200. <sighs> it went from 50 to 200 in an hour and a half. And then it kind of spent the rest of the evening just sort of hanging out and doing a bunch of weird things. No one knows why then. What happened on that day? We don't really know. We know what has triggered this in the past uh, was a massive short squeeze that turned into uh, a gamma squeeze, which is basically uh, the market forcing the hands of uh, not just short sellers, but also the institutions who have to hedge their other positions. And again, as far as why on the 24th, why at 3.30? Anybody's guess. Maybe the SEC can help us out. As we record this, GameStop settled into a much narrower range right now. It's around 120 bucks. We've also seen volume come way back down from those crazy days uh, yeah. early early last week. Do you think this is a $120 stock? That's what the market says it is. I have absolutely no idea. The great irony of, of this entire thing was that it was started by a guy who was seriously posting some deep, deep fundamental analysis. And he was saying the financials of this company 
are stronger than the market thinks. The stock is mispriced on a fundamental basis. I'm bullish because the company is going to turn around on a fundamental basis. And that turned into YOLO memes, Wall Street bets. Yeah. And it got completely away from that. That fundamental narrative got thrown out the window. I never understood that, to be honest with you. I know that they brought on Ryan Cohen and he brought on some few people uh, from Chewy to be on the board and they're doing some e-commerce things. I get it. Great. They, they that you know that's that's smart obviously, but I just never understood why GameStop w- was undervalued. And I mean, yeah. he, look, if you go back a year ago and he was at $2 or $4, that to me made more sense. Right. You know what I mean? But yeah. I'm not I'm not Michael Burry. I'm not Warren Kitty. <laughs> right. Well, and, and, and I want to ask you a couple of questions there. I'm glad you brought that up because I was watching a video with uh, with Mr. Kramer the other day. A woman asked him about the market and where they are, and he said he's very troubled by the market right now, Spencer, because sure. we're we're getting out of these companies that are actually making money and have solid fundamentals and rotating toward. I don't know what he thinks is kind of some garbage companies. Are you equally troubled by the market right now? It's a different kind of rotation. So for people who don't follow the market on a daily basis, like we do at Benzinga, the past couple of days have been very, very interesting. We have rotated out of technology. Basically, if you had a stock that was crushing it in 2020, you are now getting crushed in that stock. I'm talking about Kathy Wood. I'm talking about all those high-flying tech stocks, e-commerce, right? Names like Etsy, Shopify, names that crushed it in 2020 are getting hammered here. A lot of SPACs, right, are getting destroyed in the last couple of days. And where's the money going? It's going into the exact opposite area of the market that was getting crushed last year. The stocks that were getting crushed last year, like energies and banks, that's where the money's been going for the past couple of days. I didn't see that Kramer thing. I, I don't know what he was referring to there, yeah, but that's yeah. that's where the rotation has been. It doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Uh, but for the moment, at least, technology is very out of favor. And all the sectors that were destroyed in 2020, oil, energy, banks, value, that's all in favor for now. That could change on a dime, but that's how it is at this moment. And that's how it's been for the past week. Two more questions I have for you. You mentioned Kathy Wood. She's in the news a ton lately. Genius, anomaly, it's her time in the sun. What do you think about Kathy Wood? Yeah, we actually interviewed Kathy Wood uh, yesterday. I mean, look, what she's done is nothing sort of remarkable. It's basically the equivalent if Warren Buffett disclosed his trades and made daily trades, which he doesn't, and he doesn't, and if he did, he wouldn't have to disclose them. Uh, what she's done for transparency is unbelievable. She's not the first star stock picker, and nor will she be the last, but she is the first to be this transparent about it. They, you know, they put their research out there, open it to the public, so we can dissect it. They disclose their trades, their buys and sells every single day. No one else is doing that. So what she's done on that front is massively commendable because no one else is doing that. And she had a great year and you cannot deny the results. And, you know, full disclosure, I own one of her funds. And at the moment, I'm getting a little, I'm getting hit. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm getting, but, but who, who, who am I to complain? You know, sure. I, it, I it had a great year last year. Who am I to complain? It's been a Kathy Wood kind of market. And what I mean by that is that, you know, her investment style has been working. She invests in growth-oriented businesses. She basically invests in the future. And the future is a hot investment right now. 
but it, it, it might not always be that way. There may come a time, just like we saw after the dot-com bubble, where the internet was a terrible, nobody wanted to invest in the internet. The internet was 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 yesterday's news. Everybody wanted to invest in real companies with the real businesses, not not the internet. So th- there may come a time when the future becomes you know, not sexy yeah. again, but for the moment, it's it's pretty damn sexy. And uh, she's at the top of that. So what she's done is nothing short of remarkable. Her growth is outstanding. It speaks for itself and her transparency is to be commended. I bet there's a place that people want to be on top of the market more often that you may know of, Spencer, where people can get information about things going on for traders, for people that want, that want more. And it might be in the heart yeah. of Detroit. Tell me there's a place like that. There is. Uh, so Benzinga.com is our free website, but we, we've got a news and research platform called Benzinga Pro. It's pro.benzinga.com. If you are interested in the market, interested in learning more about investing, uh, trading, uh, what moves markets, different stocks, uh, Benzinga Pro is, is basically a real-time news feed that brings together news from the rest of the market and, and puts it into one place. And there's a number of other research tools on the platform. You, you get a free two-week trial. I highly recommend it for anyone who's new and wants to learn more. Again, there's free two-week trial if you don't you don't want to you don't want to buy it. You don't want to you know you don't have to buy it after those two weeks. For for newer investors, I recommend that. Uh, and Benzinga.com is of course you know a free website. There's there's no paywall there. Also, want to mention we've got Benzinga streams content all day long on YouTube. Uh, the show that I produce, Pre Market Prep, airs every day from eight to nine Eastern time. It's myself. It's two longtime traders who trade in the after-hour session. So they're trading from 4 o'clock until 8 p.m. And they have a very unique perspective on things because all the news happens outside of market hours. It either happens in the early morning or in the afternoon slash evening. And that's when all the news hits and that's when all the volatility happens. And because of that, they have a very unique perspective because they're in that that every day. So shameless plug to pre-market prep (laughs) daily, 8 to 9 Eastern time and pro.benzinga.com. Best show ever, I'm sure, Spencer. It is. Best show. Except for this. Except for this. <laughs> yeah, course. number two. Thank Except you. Except for this. Number nice two. job. Good work. Number two. Good work, my friend. I owe you 10 bucks. Yeah. Uh, uh, by the way, stackers, we'll link to to all of those places that Spencer talked about on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks for helping us understand what the heck's been going on lately here, my friend. Good talking to you. Hey, it's crazy time. Crazy time. Big thanks to Spencer for stopping by. How about the GameStop? Back in the news again. Weird. <laughs> Did you get in on it the second time? Uh, sadly, no. No? Oh, man. I don't know. What's your excuse? Well, I've always thought that uh, managing my money has uh, typically been complicated, time-consuming, and another reason to bite my nails. But for half a million investors, OG, who have accounts with them on finance, this is this is my excuse. Investing is smarter, more automated, and easier than ever without the GameStop or with the GameStop, but I'm not going to trade it like a trader. By the way, my opinion, not part of the M1 Finance copy that I have here in front of me. But very seriously, if you're looking for smarter, more automated, and easier than ever investing, check out M1. This uh, finance super app is designed to be personalized for your needs. Their automation tools make it simpler to reach your financial goals. With M1, you can invest how you want with access to fractional shares and unmatched automation for free. You can borrow against your investments at super low rates, just 2 to 3.5%, and use this flexible portfolio line of credit for anything, 
like investing more in your portfolio, refinancing other loans, or funding large projects. M1 ties it together in a free digital account so you can have more flexibility and smoother money movements. Just keep in mind, borrowing involves higher risks and rates may vary. Visit M1 Finance, that's M, the number one finance.com forward slash SP to sign up. And because you're a stacker, they'll give you $30 to invest. Visit m1finance.com forward slash SB to sign up and stackers, you're going to get 30 bucks to invest. Terms and conditions apply. I think our takeaways here, even though it went back up, I think hanging on to GameStop might've been a bad idea if you hung on all the way through it. Hopefully some of those people got out the second time. Or they stayed in because of diamond hands. That's <laughs> Where did that phrase come from? Dude, I don't know. All of a sudden, I hear it all the time. Like, I never heard it. Now, I, all I hear about is about his diamond hands. And, you know, I'm halfway through our takeaways, and we have not done our TikTok segment. What, how, how the heck? I was so excited about Spencer being here and about uh, talking GameStop again. Totally forgot there's something even better, OG. This investing thing overall, Spencer doesn't know this. You don't know this. These people on TikTok actually have the secret. Listen to this video. So how do we make money from home? For starters, this is not a sponsored video. We just get this question all the time. And honestly, the answer is really simple. So basically, I just trade stocks on an app called Robinhood, which I left a link in our bio if you want to check it out. It's free to download, free to sign up. They actually give you a free stock, so they're paying you to sign up. Um, but again, not sponsored. And I know trading sounds intimidating. Here's my strategy in a nutshell. I see a stock going up and I buy it. And I just watch it until it stops going up and then I sell it and I do that over and over and it pays for our whole lifestyle. Um, if you're wondering how much you can make doing this, in this month I turned about 400 into 14,000. And in this month I turned less than 1,000 into 20,000. Duh. I mean, that's all you got to do. See, the, the whole strategy here, you, we're making this investing thing tough. We've been doing this for almost a decade, OG. And all we had to know was that you look at a chart if a stock's going up, you buy it, and then you just keep making money. We're such dummies sometimes, aren't we? <laughs> it's Golly. Very, very simple. Hey, if you've got a TikTok video that you would like us to shine a light on, head to uh, uh, send it to me, joe at stackybedjamins.com. And, uh, and thanks, Danielle, for that one. Very funny, Danielle. Nice catch. So uh, our first takeaway is just buy stocks because they go up. And I think the second one is uh, if you're doing DoorDash, love your, love your takeaway there, OG. If you're buying the $200 steak, you can't afford the $40 tip, don't go. Ed Slot is America's IRA expert. He is uh, one of the most entertaining people. I can't think of anybody more entertaining in the world of taxes. Our friend uh, Catherine Pomeranz, pretty entertaining. But Ed Slot's been doing it for over 40 years, and he is a master at taking these concepts that seem so difficult and just really dumbing it down for the rest of us in a way that we can understand and grasp. And you know what? OG, because of Ed Slot, a lot of people are richer for it. Mr. Ed Slot's a smart man. Pay attention. Very smart man. Let's say hello to uh, Ed Slot on my dad's shortwave radio. 
Well, we all think about what we should do to put money into tax shelters, but it's also important to think about how we take money out. And today we're joined by our good friend and America's IRA expert, Ed Slotsback. How are you, Ed? Great. Thanks to be back here, Joe. Well, I'm so glad you're with us. And I can't believe, by the way, that you've written another book. I just wonder how the hell do you have time to write books? I don't know where you get your energy. I get it from talking to people all the time, talking to advisors, talking to consumers. Every time I answer a question, I say to myself, oh, you know, a lot of people need to know this. And then I start writing. I write almost every day. And it comes from real concerns of people. Yeah, you seem to be very energized by this whole time. And good for you because everybody needs the tax nerd, Ed, that can, that can yeah. uh, get excited by this. I want to I start this off, though, by talking about an important phrase you use to kick off your book. You say this. You say, we all had to deal with the tax man and Congress just reneged. Why? Because, as usual, the government needed money. Explain to me what you're talking about there, Ed, to kick off the book. All right. It's a chapter I open the book with called The Broken Promise. People always ask me, Ed, can you trust Congress to keep their word? No, of course you can't trust them as far as you can throw them. You know, there's an old saying uh, among accountants like me, in case people don't know, I'm a CPA. I've been a practicing accountant for over 40 years doing tax returns. And there's an old CPA expression, tax laws are written in pencil. So don't take them to the bank. What Congress did here, and specifically I'm talking about the SECURE Act, and here's another thing, too, to learn about Congress. In my 40 years of studying tax law, I noticed that whenever Congress creates a tax act, the name they give it, whatever they name it, you can almost always bet it does exactly the opposite. (laughs) So when they call this act the SECURE Act, I'm saying to myself, better watch your wallet. They're calling it SECURE Act. You're going to have less. And that's exactly what happened. Congress, as usual, look at the debts and deficits. They need money. So where do they turn? The first knee-jerk reaction is almost always, let's raid retirement savings. Why do they do that? Because, like the, the bank robber said, that's where the money is. I just looked at the latest stats of and as of the end of last year, there were 30, over 30 trillion with a T, not B like Bill Gates. This is trillion, not even billion, 30 trillion in retirement accounts held by 100 million Americans. Don't you think that looks like a big, juicy stake to Congress when they need money? Most of those funds have not yet been taxed because that's how we were trained to save. We were told to get tax deductions, put money into IRAs and 401ks, tax-deferred accounts. And we made this deal, and part of the deal was that when we took the money out in retirement, we'd be in a lower bracket. But we don't know what future brackets will be because look at the debts and deficits. The tax rates could go through the roof. Congress can raise rates. They're always talking about it. So what they did is they took away in the SECURE Act one of the big benefits many people were relying on, something known, and I'm sure you've talked about it on your show many times, the stretch IRA. You you talk about that a lot, right? Sure, absolutely. 
Yeah. Well, it's no longer there. It's gone. So much for Secure Act. As of 2020, Congress felt IRAs were for retirement, not to pass wealth to next generations for estate planning and so forth. So they cut that benefit out. And the stretch IRA, for those who don't know what it was, because it's not really in the tax code. It's not at all in the tax code. It's a made-up word. In fact, I remember years ago when it first came out, I was telling a client about it, and he called me from the bank. He says, I'm at the bank. You said get a stretch IRA. They don't have them. (laughs) It's not not something you buy off a shelf. It was the ability after you die to let your beneficiaries stretch or extend distributions on the IRA they inherited from you over their lifetimes, extending the buildup and the tax deferral could be for 50, 60, 70 years. Congress said, no, we need money sooner than that. So we're getting rid of the stretch and we'll replace it with a 10-year rule. In other words, they want to accelerate all the taxes into 10 years after your death. So many people's plans have been upended. That's why I call that first chapter the broken promise. People made plans relying that these rules would be in effect. They made plans beginning 20, 30 years ago. That's what you're supposed to do. That's why retirement planning is long-term planning. But here comes Congress in the ninth inning of the game pulling the rug out from under you. So you have to react. And that's the core message to the book, how to react to these things and others to keep more of your hard-earned money. Your retirement savings are at risk. So the core message of the book is to have more, keep more, and make it last, and more of it tax-free. You know, it's funny, Ed. I laughed when you talked about the bank not having a stretch IRA. And yet, as you know, so many people look at uh, tax jargon as a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, and it seems to make it harder. So I'm going to want to go into that here in a second. But before we get there... You, in your introduction, you call your introduction playing the back nine, which I found to be an interesting analogy. Can you explain to us what playing the back nine is? Well, uh, that's a golf analogy. I'm not a golfer, but I know the expression. So it's the second half of the game. You know, the better analogy might even be a football game. More people can relate to that. Retirement has two halves, just like a golf game, the first nine and the back nine, or the front nine, I think they call it. Shows you how much I know about golf. (laughs) I guess it's called the front nine. You know, the only thing I know about golf is what I learned when I was 15 and a caddy, and I learned how heavy the damn bags are on my back. That's what I learned. Anyway, the front, <laughs> the, the front nine, when it comes to retirement, also has two halves. All the years you worked, you built, you saved, you invested. But then the back nine is the fruits of your labor to enjoy all that, to take the money out. And almost nobody plays the back nine. And that's where the game is won or lost. I like even the football analogy better because in football they have a saying, the score at halftime is irrelevant. Give me the score at the end of the game and then I'll tell you who won. How many football games, if you think about it, do you ever notice are won or lost usually in the last five seconds? Yeah. That's where everything happens. It's the same thing with retirement. Lots of people put in the work, put in the 20, 30, 40 years of saving. And then at halftime, they look at their retirement account 
and they admire it. Uh, they say, wow, I did ever, I did it. I saved all I'll ever need for retirement. And then they go in at halftime, pat themselves on the back. Meanwhile, IRS is coming out. They're playing the third and fourth quarter. They're playing nobody. So they win. You have to play, whether you call it the back nine or the second half of the game, that's where all the money is made or lost on retirement accounts, not in the stock market. Yeah, you can make money in the market. You could lose money in the market. But if you lose money in the market, eventually the market recovers and you get your money back if you hold on. With taxes, if you lose money to taxes, you're never getting that money back. That's a one-way street. Yeah, yeah. There's one more analogy that I want to couple this with before we dive into some of the terminology here and really what we're talking about. And that is you start off the second chapter of the book, Ed, with roaches in the restaurant. And, and, <laughs> and what I love that you talk about, and you know this much better than I do, Ed, so many people, their eyes glaze over. They're like, well, Ed's talking about this stuff that's a long ways away, right? And I think that your, your roaches in the restaurant analogy kind of gets to the fact that this is closer than you think it is. Yeah, I hate to use that now with so many restaurants in trouble. But the, the point of that was is, you know, you bury things in the sand. You don't want to see a problem. If you don't see it, it's not a problem. So my analogy was, you know, you go to a nice restaurant. They all have roaches in the kitchen, and you're okay with that as long as you don't see it. But once they start crawling on the plate, you say, you know what? Now I think we have a problem. So I'm saying with the taxes, they're crawling on the plate now. Yeah. Now you have a problem because at some point you're going to lose chunks of that money to taxes that could have been avoided. Yeah, We are all about setting the foundation then here, Ed, to the, the strategies that you talk about in your book. And so many of us don't even know what the wording is. You begin your book, I thought, ingeniously by instead of the big, boring appendix at the back that explains everything, by explaining things, by explaining some of this jargon, by what's the difference between this and this. So I thought, if you don't mind, we're going to walk through a few of these, maybe okay. test your, we're going to see if we can make Ed sweat. That's my goal. No, I'm kidding. You start off with what? I'll give you my favorite one. Okay, Why deal. Why don't you get to my favorite one, right, the we'll, simplest We will one. cut That's to the chase. Ten. Okay. Estate tax versus income tax. What's the difference between, and that's, you're right, that's how I put in what other people might call a glossary. So you understand the terms in connection with other terms. So I have one, uh, what's the difference between estate tax and income tax? Income tax is the one you can still complain about. <laughs> <laughs> but which brings us to another one which is beneficiary versus, and I think we all know what a beneficiary is, but beneficiary versus designated beneficiary versus eligible designated beneficiary. I mean, we're getting in the weeds a little bit there, Ed, but this is, I think, an important distinction. Well, yeah, you know, I had to expand all of that. Uh, I figures you picked the longest one. Of course. Uh, because it's just not about naming beneficiaries. Now the tax law with the SECURE Act helping us again, you know, there's so much help, uh, Congress, has created uh, three categories of beneficiaries, and not everybody gets the same treatment. So it's almost like uh, you go to a concert, and there's different kinds of seats. There's the seats that are right up by the stage, the seats that are kind of in the middle, not so good, and the bleachers, we used to call them, the nosebleeds. The, you know, you can't see anything, but maybe you can hear a little. 
and the, each beneficiary has its own status by who they are. So some beneficiaries don't even get named. That's one of the biggest mistakes people make, and I have a whole chapter dedicated to that. Because if you don't name them, they they get stripped of all the tax benefits after death, even the ones that are left, like the 10-year rule. Then they have another category called non-eligible designated beneficiaries. These are people that they're basically your non-spouse, your children and grandchildren that can still get the 10-year rule. And then they have the elite class that gets the stage seats, the best ones, called eligible designated beneficiaries. I didn't make up these names. Congress did. I don't know who made up the names, but they're called eligible designated beneficiaries, and that's the people who get exempted from the con- the rules Congress put in the SECURE Act, which is mainly the surviving spouse. That's one thing in the tax code. I always say the spouse is like the queen in a chess game. The, the tax code lets them do almost anything. The tax code almost always protects the spouse. So the spouse has all the benefits, the rollovers, every option that she or he had before. But here's the thing. Again, you can't bury your head in the sand on this because at some point, even with married couples, one spouse is going to die first. That's just my prediction. Uh, One spouse (laughs) is going to die first, and then you're back to, you know, a single taxpayer that has only non-spouse beneficiaries. And then the funds have to be accelerated quickly after death in those 10 years and probably heavily taxed. I remember back in my financial planning days and in some of my courses, some case studies about how when a married couple died at the same time, they would have to figure out which one died first if they had assets to figure out how the money flowed. Well, actually, uh, and this is another reason, this is one of the messages of the book, too, to update your estate plans. Many people haven't updated their beneficiary forms, their wills, their trusts. And a lot of wills have language in there that says if there's a common accident, a common death, a common disaster, in the will you can say we're going to assume which spouse died first so the money can flow the right way. This is so important for people, and we can't overemphasize it enough what you just said to go through your beneficiary designations. That's super important for after you die. Let's talk about when you're alive. And I want to go to the very basics. The first thing you talk about, Ed, here is adjusted gross income versus taxable income. What's the difference and why is that difference important for us? Well, adjusted gross income is a the key item on a tax return that determines what other benefits, deductions, tax credits, tax-favored items you will qualify for, whereas taxable income is based on adjusted gross income, less deductions. What you want to do is get AGI, or adjusted gross income. You want to reduce that. Reducing taxable income doesn't do the trick. I mean, it will reduce taxable income, like itemized deductions for the few people who still itemize, does not reduce adjusted gross income. So one of the keys to good tax planning is finding things that reduce adjusted gross income. For example, more of your medical deductions might be deductible. You have more chance of qualifying, say, for Roth contributions, maybe more chance of paying less tax on Social Security or reducing your Medicare surcharges all based on that adjusted gross income level. So in the book, I go over many points on how to reduce that number as opposed to taxable income. 
Taxable income is the income you actually pay tax on after deductions. But you want to push deductions, what accountants typically call above the line. Yeah. Uh, you want to reduce adjusted gross income. Yeah, knowing what moves those two numbers is, I think, so important. I want to, there's so many definitions, but I I want to ask you while we have you about this. You've got a five step process in the book about getting the time bomb under control, but it starts off with timing. And as you know, we talk about the stock market, Ed, we talk about timing isn't important, but you say for the time bomb, timing is important. How do we get timing wrong and how do we kind of start fixing it? Well, timing in everything is important. Isn't timing in life important? Meeting the right person at the right time. I mean, everything. Timing's uh, for even I'm not a cook, but I definitely am an eater. Uh, but <laughs> in cooking, I know timing is important. Timing determines whether that meal is gourmet or garbage, really. Uh, uh, but here's the thing with cooking. If it turns out to be garbage, you can always make an omelet. You always get a second chance. And if you can't make an omelet, you can always order in. So there's lots of second chances. With taxes, it's not so. You don't get a lot of second chances. Many of these tax rules are not only complex, but rigid and unforgiving. And you, a lot of times, they're irrevocable, and you have to make the choices at the right time. And there's basically three times I focus on when people take money out, early, in the middle, and later. Early is bad, generally, before 59 and a half, because most people will pay a 10% penalty. But I go through all the exceptions. You try not to take money out, even if there is an exception to the 10% penalty, because the last thing you want to do is go through your retirement savings. What will you have in retirement if you go through them earlier? But sometimes you have to. So I go through all the rules on getting money out early if you need to and show you the ways you can avoid the penalty. But then my favorite part is between age 59 and a half and 72. I call that the sweet spot for planning. Now, a lot of people listening to this program are probably, uh, would you say, Joe, between 59 and a half and 72? There's a, there's a fair that's, number there, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of people like me, the baby boomers. So uh, that's what I call the sweet spot for planning, because before 59 and a half, you have a 10% penalty. At 72, you're kind of constrained in your planning. Doesn't mean you can't plan, but you're constrained because the first money out has to be the required minimum distribution. But in between, you have this little oasis in the tax law that you actually can't get a penalty. Even if somebody called up the show right now and said, but Joe, I want a penalty. Nope, you can't get it. Not if you're in your 60s. Sorry. So that gives you ultimate flexibility to take money out early if you need it, pay low taxes now, put it into Roth IRAs or life insurance or other tax-free vehicles. You can do anything you want. It's the oasis of the most flexible planning, and that's what you should be looking at. You're not restri restricted by any IRS rules. It's really amazing because you know, Joe, the rules surrounding retirement account withdrawals. I mean, I made my whole living uh, are you know thousands and thousands of complex pages of tax law. But in this one area, 59 and a half to 72, that's where if you're in those ages, you be, should be focusing on how you're going to use those funds 
to create more money from them and more of it tax-free. Then the last time, obviously, at age 72, now you're stuck with what I call the government plan. And one of the keys to the book is I say, you want your plan, not the government plan. So people sometimes ask, well, Ed, what do you mean by the government plan? I mean doing nothing and let it happen all around you, losing control. So that's what happens at age 72 when you're forced to take money out through required minimum distributions, even if you don't need it, and forced to pay tax on money you don't need, and forced to add that to income, causing the loss of other tax benefits, as we talked about. So you want to try and do your planning before that. But even after 72, there are things you can do, but you will be stuck taking those RMDs, required minimum distributions. As always, earlier planning is better, which there was something you said in there, Ed, that I know made our younger listeners lean forward. And that's a question we get often here, which uh, I'd like your take on. You're setting things up so that you can retire pre 59 and a half. And you talk about those rules like 72 T SEPP, the, the complicated rules to get money out. Is it better in your eyes to just have flexible money that's going to be taxed along the way to fund that early time? Or is it better to deal with 72T SEPP if you want to retire at 50 or 55 instead of 59 and a half? Well, you could use that, but I advise against it. Personally, that's why I put it at the very back of the book. I hope readers never get there. It's like on page 400 or something. (laughs) Because those rules are so complicated. You know, if you use that series of payments to get money out, you have to stick to the plan for the longer of five years until you're 59 and a half. It would work for somebody maybe in their later 50s that they don't have other money around and they want to get to it. But other than that, better to have other money or even take some distributions and maybe pay a small penalty. I hate the idea of even paying a 10% penalty yeah. ever, really, because that's money in the garbage. You know, I just, yeah. I just can't stomach that. But maybe that's better than going on this long-term plan where you end up paying it anyway and then interest and penalties on top of it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Sometimes for that early money, flexibility is so much better. But then huge tax planning on what you're talking about and getting the money in the right place. The book is called The New Retirement Savings Bond, How to Take Financial Control, Avoid Unnecessary Taxes, and Combat the Latest Threats to Your Retirement Savings. I'm sure, Ed, I don't think I have to ask this, but it's available everywhere, right? Everywhere. Or you could go right to my website. It's the new retirement savings time bomb. And you could go to our website, IRA help, IRAHELP.com. It's available everywhere. Or you type my name into Amazon, Ed Slot. It's everywhere. You'll see all my other books. But don't buy those books. This is brand new. Right now, it's probably the only book on the market that has all the current rules. I'm talking right up to the last stimulus bill uh, at the end of December. It has the SECURE Act, the CARES Act, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the new stimulus package that was passed uh, December 27th at the end of 2020. It is right up to date. I don't know any other books that are out this quickly on that. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't either. And how having a book in the works myself, how the hell you got all that in there is just is just beyond me. I want to end. And by the way, I'll link to everything Ed said and those links uh, if you're walking the dog or whatever on our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. But Ed, I want to end with my favorite definition, one that made me <laughs> made me laugh out loud. Let me guess. Is it one in the trusts? No, it was actually. No, okay. It was it was simplify versus complicate. Oh yeah. <laughs> Tell us that one. 
I have to look it up. You think I know the whole book by heart? Where is that? What page is that? Uh, Simplify uh, versus. What's funny is. Oh, there it is. There it is. Simplify versus complicate on page 19. Yes. All right. Uh, I say whenever you read or hear of Congress or your state or local legislators simplifying the tax laws, You've got a heads up that something complicated is about to hit you. Hold on to your wallet every time they simplify. That was great. Thanks for hanging out with us, Ed. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me on the program. And the whole point of the book is to help people keep more of their hard-earned savings. It's at heavy tax risk. And if you want to keep more, this is the plan that will help you do it. Keep more and pay less. Less to the IRS, less to Uncle Sam. And remember, he's not even your real uncle. <laughs> hey, stackers. I'm, I, I'm your very, very, very calm, cool, and collected trivia guy, Joe's Mom's Neighbor Doug. I can't believe the guys are going on like there's nothing happening down here. I was so busy searching for this time bomb that I didn't even get to listen in on Ed Slot at all. I've been reading the Hardy Boy detective manual, re-watching that M&M's commercial, and even glanced at Ocean's Eleven to try to figure this thing out. Because people, we are in an explosive situation. Okay, uh, it, keep keep the passengers distracted, Doug. You got this. Uh, uh, all right, all right. Let's just get you. <laughs> let's just get you today's trivia, shall we? Uh, l- l- let's do that. Uh, w- with Ed Slot being here, of course, a tax question is in order. So how about this one? What do the letters GAP stand for, or as all the insiders say, uh, GAP. Man, that sounds like sheep. GAP. <laughs> well, I'll be back with the answer faster than you can. Cut the red wire! Cut the red wire! Duh! Better run. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things so I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, we're able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30 day free trial. When you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad free privacy. You can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads after trying out Monarch myself. I totally get 
why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30 day free trial to try it out. Like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30 day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com slash Benjamins for your extended 30 day free trial. Hey, stackers, uh, so far, no good. I've been listening for ticking and, um, yeah, nothing. This portfolio time bomb appears to be a silent one. Like Joe's mom says, nothing worse than silent and deadly. But I I don't think she's talking about this kind of bomb. Anyway, hey, I'm going to go grab the neighbor's dachshund and see if maybe Mitzi's as great at sniffing out bombs as she is at watering streetlights. So let's just get you to today's trivia answer. Question wise, what does GAP stand for? If you guessed generally accepted accounting principles, which are a collection of commonly followed accounting rules and standards for financial reporting, then you'd be right. And you're probably an accounting nerd. Our kind of people. Okay, now it's time for me to go find this bomb before this basement gets audited. Or maybe even worse. See ya. Oh, Doug. I wasn't sure you were going to get that one, by the way. Nice job. Why would I not get that one? I went to business school. Of course you could. Oh, a little flex there. I went to business school. I went to business school. Bam. One of us went to business school. One of us did, yeah. Big thanks to Ed Slot, proving again that he's a heck of a golf analogy creator. He's Mr. Smarty Pants. <laughs> he is. Whenever Ed Slot writes anything, whenever I hear I get to talk to him, he's just just a joy. Hey, let's uh, throw out the Haven Lifeline. OG and Tech has some of life's most important questions. Our friends over at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. I would say a beverage cart on the back nine. I have a big appreciation for that. Oh yeah, beverage cart on the back nine. That's that's nice. But you got to have something to go with it. So like, they, they got to have a hot dog cart too. Oh, or or a or a bag of Doritos. A hot dog cart? You've never seen a hot dog cart? No, it's more I of was, a hut, it, right? It's more of like at the turn. There's like the little yeah little little stand where you can go get a cheeseburger or a hot dog. I don't golf very much, but we were in Cabo a couple of years ago. Uh, there was a golf course, the most beautiful golf course I ever played. And every four holes, they had a hut, but it was quesadillas and tacos oh and margaritas, cigars if you wanted them. Yes, please. If you, if you really wanted your mouth to smell like trash at the end of the day. Yes, sign, sign me up. Any alcohol that you uh, that you could want. The good news is I got to hole number eight and I was still a bad golfer, but I was much more confident. <laughs> exactly. They've got here your loved ones in your time, but I'd say loved ones in your time with all that is the way to go. That's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple over at Haven Life. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. If you pause this podcast, you will see when you go there that the application's way more simple than any you've ever done in the past. Their prices are affordable. All policies are issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual which is more than 160 years old. You're not going to have to wait forever for a decision like you will through a lot of the uh, old school companies. Instead, in most cases, you'll have an instant coverage decision. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our friend Evan. Say hi, Evan. 
Hi, Joe, OG, and maybe Paula and Len. I have a question about when to take the leap from working for the man to working for yourself. My wife and I are in our early 30s and co-own a small business with my parents that we started about four years ago. The business has grown every year and has no debt, and currently no one works there as their full-time job. None of us have really taken a paycheck the entire time so we can continue to roll money back into capital expenditures. Financially, my wife and I are in good shape. We save about 40% of our income into a mix of 401k, Roth IRA, as well as brokerage and some college savings for our two kids. We have no debt outside of a primary mortgage and a rental property, and we have a six-month emergency fund. My questions are this. When do you know is the right time to quit the day job, and what are some things to think about or be prepared for? And the last one is, what is the most difficult part of starting a business for you guys? I promise not to learn anything, and please tell Gertrude my shirt size is large with a pack of Marble Reds rolled into the sleeve. Peace. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Thanks, Evan, for the call, and uh, congratulations on thinking about maybe uh, starting your own business. So Matthew McConaughey reference, right? The, didn't Matthew McConaughey have the cigarettes rolled up? I think, I think so, yes. So what are you thinking, OG? Uh, I'm thinking that everything was great up until the part where he says it doesn't make any money. I don't think that's a reason not to do it though. I think there's just some planning that has to happen here. Yeah, I I can see that. I would like to see it actually make money if it's transitioning from, or at least a plan to do it. Maybe that's what you just said, but you can't go from making some money to pay the bills and put food on the table to making no money because I got to reinvest all the money back into the business to allow it to stay afloat slash grow. And if you have the opportunity to step away and put your foot on the gas on the business that makes it do that, I think that becomes a little bit more interesting. But why not just work really super extra hard for the next six months and see if you can do both? You know what I mean? Like, see if you really can make it profitable before you before you walk away from your existing job. I don't know. At the very least, I think if Evan and his spouse are both working, maybe going to half first, right? One person spends time at the business helping it turn a profit while the other one keeps the consistent paycheck coming in. Or if there's any degree that you can do that, keep money coming in, that I think is really what you're alluding to. But going just cold turkey and um, cutting out the main job for a side gig that hasn't yet made a profit, to your point, is pretty, uh, pretty risky. You know, if you think about the business like an investment, you know, you've got this investment in this company, right? And it's producing revenue and it's producing profit a little bit enough to put back into the business. So you've got a growth company that's not paying any dividends to shareholders. That thing is just reinvesting, buying, you know, building more factories, you know, your your Tesla 2.0. Well, maybe not, but anyways, you get the idea. The thing needs to make enough money that also can pay the owners. You know, you you need a salary for doing your job. If you as the owner decide that you don't want any cash, you don't want any profit, you want that profit to be reinvested because you think it's going to build more profit down the line, that's fine. But the thing needs to also pay you for your job of chief marketing officer or head sales manager or you know head gardener or like whatever, whatever the business is, you need to be paid for that business also for the work. I would look at this uh, from maybe a different angle also, which is why not just keep doing both? Why not try to invest money into the business to make it grow so that it produces profits 
as a shareholder without actually having to work in the thing to make you a business, you know, employee. Well, what, but what if he likes that job better than his current job? You know what I mean? There's something to be said for doing work that you love. Yeah. True. Um, versus work that you have to do to bring in, to bring in money. I mean, if he loves this more, I'm with you still, but I think there's still a middle ground. I'm thinking about a couple of the books that I would read, Evan, like, uh, uh, I think it'd be mandatory to read a book like the E-Myth OG. Definitely read the E-Myth. Built uh, to Sell, one of my other favorite books. Yeah. John Warrillo was just on the show before our break. We had him on to build this analogy between family money and business money. But if you want directly what John does, uh, he even has a podcast, Built to Sell Radio, where he right. interviews people about uh, building their business to sell. I also think there's another classic book called The Goal about process Ooh. management. By the way, books like The E-Myth and The Goal are just stories. So those are perfectly fine on audiobook. Yeah. If you can get the audiobook from your library, there, there really isn't, um, while there's depth, they're presented in such a breezy style that it's very, very fun books to read. I think, OG, that if he does take the plunge too, after the planning that he does, thinking about how long it is till profitability, I think you got to double or triple that number, that length of time. Yeah. Because it never goes. It never gets to profitability as quickly as you think that it will. Well, there's other stuff that has to happen along the way. You know, as your business continues to grow, you're going to add more uh, resources to it to keep it growing, right? You're going to need more staff or you're going to need more supply or more space or whatever the thing is. And it's a while before you get to that equilibrium of, I have all the space that I need. We've got the operation dialed in, in terms of process. We got the right people in place. And now I can start making some money, you know? And, and, uh, and I agree, like whatever you're thinking, it's going to be longer. Uh, And to that end, I suppose also you have to have an exit strategy as well. You know, you have to have the, at some point in time, well, maybe not. I don't know. Do you, do you have the burn all the boats and do you, do you flip the boss off on the way out? <laughs> you know, kick the trash cans, go like, I'm out of here, MFR. Woo! Just so that there's no chance of ever coming back. Or do you have some sort of, uh, okay, well, if this thing doesn't plan out the way that I think it will over the next uh, two years or three years or well, whatever. Well, we're definitely here. You and I have been talking about option number two, but I do think there's something to be said about option number one. Put yourself in a position where it has to work. Yeah. So definitely flip the boss off on the way out. But realize how dangerous that is. Like that is a dangerous way to go. Just do it and let the chips fall. But I would do some planning before I do that. I wouldn't just go, yep, I'm done. And usually the people that do that, by the way, they go start a restaurant. Restaurant has the one of the highest failure rates of any business type in the world. And, uh, and no planning at all. Just, I like cooking food. So yeah. I'm going to do a restaurant. Hopefully Ethan doesn't have a restaurant. It's how Gordon Ramsay keeps his job <laughs> and all the other Robert, uh, what's that get Robert Irwin? Is that his name? Yeah. Cause he goes, they go in and fix him. Yeah. Yeah. The restaurant fix it people. Thanks for that question, Evan. So I think, you said, uh, to I said wrap, Ethan, it's Evan. It's yeah, it's Evan, Evan, Ethan, whatever. Same thing. Evan, all I'm thinking of is a dude in a t-shirt with rolled up, uh, pack of marbles. As long as you got the cannons to support the roll up. I'm all right with that. Gertrude. Gertrude will send you a code and you can buy any size you want, Evan. Thanks for the question. If you've got a question for us, it's stackybenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. And OG and I are very happy 
to uh, help you along the way. Uh, Evan, I love the dream. Absolutely love it. Reminds me of uh, Robert Allen. Remember the real estate guru, Robert Allen? Multiple streams of income guy. Yeah, there's two. He, he's got this great quote. There's two doors in life. One says security, one says opportunity. The person who opens the security door gets neither. Ooh. Ooh. Create your own security. Create your own. All right. Uh, I do believe that's going to do it for today. So many people to thank, and Doug's going to thank a lot of them. Mom, though, is super excited about the number of great reviews people have left us lately. Thank you to everyone who's done that. Uh, this comes from Johnny32190. Uh, the terrible name. <laughs> why would your mom name you that, Johnny? And think about his other 3,200 and, uh, or 32,189 siblings that came before him. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Johnny in all caps, five stars says, stop listening. Everyone should stop listening to the show. Used to be their number one fan, but now there's so many of us. The competition's getting to me. I can only fanboy so hard, you know, five stars, 10 out of 10, but please don't listen because I don't need more competition. That's awesome, Johnny. Thanks so much for the review and the kind words. And if you can let people know what they're getting into when they listen to Stacky Benjamins, we appreciate it. And also, if you're somebody who's listening to this because you were hoping for some money inspiration and you feel like you could be doing a lot better, OG and his team of financial planners are taking new clients. So if you want your 2021 to be on the right foot, you deserve it to have smart people to talk to about your situation, head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash OG. And that's the link to their calendar to see how they, their team can interface with your team to have a brighter future. All right. That's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today? So what should we have learned today? First, take a lesson from our headlines, individual stocks, take some advice from Spencer Israel from Bazinga. Who knows what happens on a daily basis, but if you buy good companies and follow them closely, you can begin to feel the heartbeat and have some fun in your sandbox account. Second, take a lesson from Ed Slot. Are you sitting on a retirement time bomb? It's never too early to make sure your tax situation is in order. But the big lesson? Tax situation in order? Are you... Are you kidding me? So this whole ticking time bomb, was it a euphemism about taxes? Unbelievable. The next thing you know, we're going to call taxes the silent thief. Oh, oh wait, we, we, we call it that too? Well, someday lawmakers will try to tone down the tax rhetoric by calling them community contributions or our burdens. Oh, they, they do that too. Well, I got some catching up to do, I guess, on all this crazy lingo. To learn more about our guests and for more resources, you can head to our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. To help determine if you have a retirement time bomb on your hands, not at all lethal, but still ugly, you can learn more by heading to irahelp.com or check out Ed Slot's book, The New Retirement Savings Time Bomb. Thanks also to Spencer Israel for joining us. For more on Bazinga, Bazinga Pro, or Spencer's YouTube show, head to Bazinga.com. 
This show is created by Joe Saul Seahide, produced by Richie Rudder Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remunerations. That's a big word. There's no way you take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. And before making any financial decisions, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. If you're new to the Stacking Benjamin show, this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. The rules are what happens here stays here. That's number one. We don't talk about it. We've said that before. People have still wanted to talk about it. So we made a little caveat, which is you can talk about dessert, but do not talk about after show. So there's that. Second rule is, is that if you're here for financial talk, we are done with any of that. And so, uh, sometimes we might, it's not off limits, but we're not, if you're here for more finance talk, you can probably safely go away and come back next time and you'll hear more of that. We'll talk uh, often movies, uh, silly things that happen to us, video games, um, you name it, TV shows we like, uh, we'll talk about all that, you know, Thinking about DoorDash, I was thinking about all the people that you might meet, right? And some of these times when you brush against uh, celebrities. And I also thought about a contest that we did a few years ago. And being the first show of a new eight weeks, I thought we could run a contest for with a, uh, with a suitable prize. I think that uh, maybe some SB swag and we have this very cool retro Stacking Benjamins radio, uh, Bluetooth radio that I think we can throw in OG. So let's, let's do this for that monster, monster gift set only available to the winner. <laughs> let's play this game. What is a, I guess we'll call it a tenuous brush with fame. You came very close like, remember the, there was a picture that was viral for a while of somebody that took a picture with, I think it was Matthew Broderick and Matthew Broderick was with somebody else. And the person didn't notice who they were and standing right behind them who was hanging out with Matthew Broderick was Jerry Seinfeld. And then the person said they actually had Jerry Seinfeld hold their camera because they didn't recognize Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> so they could take a picture with Matthew Broderick. 
That's pretty funny. I remember this, uh, we had a camp by our church and, and, uh, there was some human interest story going on there. And so, uh, Charles Kuralt from CBS, guy that used to do these human interest stories came and was right by us. Guy traveled all over the world and was right down the street from us. I went down there and told him about how NBC was my favorite network. I was maybe eight years old at the time. I didn't realize it until my mom told me later that I'd really stepped in it. I remember him telling his camera guy, Oh, Joe here uh, says that NBC is his favorite network. Both like, that's great. We love NBC. <laughs> and he's on CBS. Nice. I also read a story or heard a st- I actually heard Peter Frampton tell a story. No, Peter Frampton used to have this long hair. People who are under a certain age probably don't even know who Peter Frampton is. But Frampton used to have this long hair. And of course, now if you see him, he's bald. And uh, he was in an elevator on his way to give a concert. at his. He was in his, at his hotel and uh, just strikes up a conversation with people in the elevator. So where are you headed to? They're like, yeah, we got this. Uh, we got these tickets to see this, this like washed up guitar player, some guy named Peter Frampton. <laughs> and they're telling Peter Frampton. And Peter said, no, I heard he's really good. He's, he's super. It's really awesome. I think you're going to like it. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. The tickets were free, so we're going, but who knows? Imagine what happened to them when they're sitting in their seats and the dude in the elevator walks out. You had any tenuous brushes with fame? I mean, people have them with me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I mean, that's right. Got that going for me. Um, now I've I've met a number of people through my um, hobby, my after school activity that we call it, in the context of the work that they're doing. But um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. But no moments. I sat next to Jim Harbaugh on a on a plane to San Francisco. Oh, that'd be horrible. Yeah, it wasn't. What was really funny, so he sits down, and he's sitting next to me. I'm going, holy crap, that's Jim Harbaugh. And it was right when he got hired at Michigan, like within a year, right? So it was still new. And he was flying back and forth. And, you know, I was going from Detroit to, to San Francisco for some reason. But anyways... Uh, I just, I said, okay, you know, he's probably super busy. And I just said, Hey, how's the team looking this year? And he goes, Oh, pretty good. And then he like popped open his laptop and he started working. Well, he was sitting in the aisle. Like I was on an aisle and he was on the aisle. So we were kind of across from one another. And the one thing that I remembered was that the minute we took off, he got out the biggest like wad of tobacco and just stuffed it in his mouth and so he had this huge, huge ball of tobacco in his mouth and like a paper cup that he was spitting his tobacco spit in. And the person next to him was this small professional woman who was like cowering because as, as the trip went on, because it's a pretty long trip from Detroit to see as the trip was going on, like this clear bottle of cup, not even a bottle, clear uncapped bottle cup of chew spit was like getting bigger and bigger Uh, and she's just like oh my god this thing's gonna spill on me and he was just so like careless with it like (laughs) like like he was just playing baseball just (laughs) jim harbaugh is probably gonna be angry with me i don't know him he doesn't know me but uh i was the guy sitting next to you on the airplane 10 12 years ago like backing away every time he well i was on the other side of the aisle i was just like man this is gonna end badly and i want to get this on video so much (laughs) 
And then and then I was texting my wife and I said, Hey Jim Harmon. She's like, Pixar didn't happen, Pixar didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, fine. But when we leave, I'll go, hey, do you mind if I take a quick picture? You know, for big fans. Yeah. And the minute that door opened, he was gone. Gone. He was first guy out. He was gone. I mean, and and I, I I did talk with him for a second. He was just like, Yeah, I gotta yeah, I haven't seen my kids in two weeks. I can't wait to get home, type of thing. So but uh but yeah, that's that's I'm sure there's there's more things like that. It is interesting being a University of Michigan football coach. I think of Jim Harbaugh as a human spit cup. So there you go. You're still here, but wait, the show's over. <laughs> I know what you're waiting for. You're waiting to hear more about Navy Federal Credit Union, aren't you? Absolutely. Navy Federal Credit Union understands that whether it's a deployment, your EAS day, or retirement. Life in the military comes with all sorts of financial challenges, and after a year of uncertainty, it's important to build your financial confidence back up. You can learn some great financial savings tools and tips from Navy Federal Savings Learning Center. In fact, it's funny, I have open right now the Navy Federal website, and if you just click on their Making Sense area, you've got all kinds of strategic stuff, improve finances, get out of debt, manage credit, get a credit card, build savings, pay for college, buy a home, buy a car. If I hit improve finances, bam, suddenly I'm at a page that's asking me a little more about myself. How's your credit? Let's say that your credit needs improvement. Well, then I click start learning. And then I've got all kinds of things, cost of car ownership, understanding auto loans, choosing a car, making a deal, understanding credit, budget basics, getting my savings started, savings options, all the things that I need to know for somebody who's just starting out and I'm worried about my credit. Lots of ways I could have taken that, but the Knowledge Center at Navy Federal, just one more reason why Navy Federal Savings Learning Center is the place to start learning about money. So whether you're saving for college, retirement, rainy day fund, long-term goals, they'll help you start planning. And one of the best ways to build your confidence is to get yourself a plan. If you want to save with a credit union that helps you build financial confidence, find out more at NavyFederal.org. That's NavyFederal.org. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.